Boom. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Real Drug Talk. My name is Jack Nagel, and on this show, we talk all things alcohol and drugs, addiction, uh, and recovery from addiction. Now, on tonight's show, pretty cool. Um, we're saying tonight because this is going to premiere Sunday night. Um, we're chatting to Jacob Hickey, who is the producer of the groundbreaking series that came out late last year, Addicted Australia. For regular listeners, you would have heard Craig, um, who was a peer worker on the show, and we also had Lucas, who was actually a participant on the show. Um, But I thought it would be super interesting and super cool to have the producer of the show on to kind of get that behind the scenes aspect happening um, and hear his perspective and also just kind of hear from someone, I guess, that's not in the space but has kind of had a really interesting way of intersecting with it. Um, So, yeah, this is a pre-recorded interview that we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, So, yeah, really, really, really uh, cool to have him on and it was an interesting conversation and excited for you guys to listen to it. Just before we jump into the episode, uh, if you or a loved one is struggling with any addiction or addictive patterns and you want to change things up, and maybe you don't want to go through the traditional rehab system and get locked away for 90 um, 90 days to 12 months, Um, then we run a really unique uh, addiction treatment program called Connection-Based Living, where we help people to, yeah, beat addictive patterns um, and get some peace and contentment in all life domains. If that sounds like something that's interesting to you or you want to find out a bit more about it, um, you can head to www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. That's www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. You can have a bit of a look around on the site, um, get some information, or you can uh, book in a free consultation with us and we're happy to chat to you um, and see if we can help. And if we can't, definitely point you in the right direction and, and give you a bit of a recovery plan um, and get some action happening. Um, so um, without further ado, let's jump into the show. Peace. <laughs> So in three, two, one, boom. Welcome everybody to another episode of Real Drug Talk. Now, um, like it is in the alcohol and drug space, it's a it's a smaller sector. Everybody knows each other. So when we make the TV, we get, I'm talking about the alcohol and drug space in general, we get excited. So um, as it, our listeners will know, we've had a few um, little interviews and I don't know if I told you this, uh, Jacob, I think I forgot, but we've interviewed Craig and um, who was one of the peer workers, which was really good. Right, right. And then we also interviewed um, Lucas, who was one of the participants as well. So that was really good. And people have loved, um, yeah, just hearing some of the follow-up people's perspectives and stuff. Um, so, yeah, so, um, but we're excited today because I think this will be an interesting one. Um We've got Jacob Hickey, who is the, uh, we've just gone through it <laughs> because I didn't want to stuff it up, but he's basically um, the head honcho of this series. So the series producer and, and put it together. And I'm just excited to, to chat to you about, um, yeah, your experiences on the show, because like we we're just chatting before we started recording, I think it's a, a really interesting intersection to hear about just, you know, your background or experiences of addiction before you started filming the show and maybe some thoughts after and all that sort of stuff so how are you mate yeah good thanks for having me on it's great 
No, thanks for being on. And I don't say this lightly either. Obviously, um, you know, these these topics, not for me because, you know, I'm sort of doing it every day, but I, I kind of forget for other people, you know, their, their um, topical issues in society, their, their ones that people are attached to and, and, you know, it can be hard to talk about them sometimes. So, yeah, I appreciate you coming on and being willing to chat about it. That's good. So just just tell us because you're the you were the series producer and the director and and writer of Addicted Australia, um, uh, but just explain to us like just to kind of paint the picture and give us some context of you and what you do in your professional role. Um, yeah, like what's your what's your job? Um, are you independent to the SBS? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Um... So I'm head of factual at Blackfella Films. So Blackfella Films, Aboriginal owned and run company. Um, Amazing. Rachel Perkins, Darren Dale, head up the company. Um, and I work in their factual department. Um, and, you know, I suppose Blackfella Films has always made content with a sort of social conscience at its yep. core. That's the idea. Um, and so we're an independent production company. We make content, both drama and factual and documentary for... In terms of Australia, like the main networks, ABC, um, yep. yes, so we make yeah, dramas like Red Turn Now and Total Control, and then factual series like First Contact, uh, Filthy Rich and Homeless, and, and, and now this, Addicted Australia. Um, so yeah, my day-to-day -day job is, like you say, heading up all the factual and documentary content, but I'm very, very sort of hands-on. So we make a couple of big shows a year, and um, at least one of them, I'll be the series producer, director, completely, you know, in the mm. mix and, and location and certainly in the edit and pulling it together. So yeah, it's, um, it's never dull. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And um, I, I think that's just, it sounds strange, but I think it's interesting to hear for people that, you know, it starts off as this independent and the, the kind of purpose or the mission behind, you know, Blackfellow films production company and, and what it's all about, because I, I suppose, um, you know, uh, just naturally when you're making, um, I know even when we're doing this podcast show and interviewing people, there's a lot of uh, challenging sort of ethical stuff that comes up and you, and it's, and it can be a bit like tricky to navigate and understand like how you're going to tell it and, and all those sorts of things. So yeah. like, can I, can I ask like, how hard was it to, when you started the inception of the show, like how hard was it to kind of think about, Oh, what story do we want to tell? Yeah. How do we, how do we navigate this? It, you know, it's, it's the, it sounds obvious, but the start is the most important bit. Yeah. Because you've got to know why you're making something mm. because though that question will get harder and harder to answer when things get harder and harder during the process. Yeah. So if you've been able to answer that question at the beginning when things were calm and you had and everything was, you know, before any, any cameras were rolling, yeah. that's where the real work happens. Like, why do we want to do, what do we want to do? Why do we want to make this show? What's the end game? What's the purpose? Yeah. Um, and if you have that, you've kind of got your compass sorted. Yeah. So that when, as you say, um, and I have to say, of all the shows I've made, I would argue that possibly this tested us creatively, editorially, legally, and ethically all at the same time, <laughs> more than anything else. Um, when that's happening, you have this roadmap that you created at the beginning, which is remind, come on, why, 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 why did we do this? Yeah. 
And that sort of sounds really basic. Um, but if you can't answer that question, mm-hmm. then you best not set off down making one of the most challenging things you can ever make. Yeah, um, 100%. And you have a feeling as to why you want to make it. So mm-hmm. in terms of why we wanted to make this, I mean, it started off by usual thing, whiteboarding the room, <laughs> me and Darren having a chat. And I was like, what can we, I'll be honest about this, what can we get access to mm. that we don't think anyone's got access to before? Mm. I mean, anything. Yep. So it started about a conversation about that. What, what world do we want to see that we don't think has been portrayed? And often with our ideas, we look at stuff that either isn't being talked about at all mm-hmm. or is being talked about but possibly not in the most responsible way possible. I'm not trying to sound all pious about that, like, oh, we, we know how to do this thing. But take mm-hmm. homelessness, for example. Yeah. We had the idea around that we wanted to make that series because homelessness wasn't really particularly on the agenda. This is going back a few years. It wasn't mm-hmm. talked about a lot. So there was a vacuum there. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to do something that creates debate and starts a conversation mm. and, and questions stereotype and mm. stigma and all of those things. And so we started to talk, um, and by the way, shut me up whenever you want me to, uh, whenever you want to, but, but it started off by saying, what do we want to get access to? Yep. And um, we've always, I've always had a fascination with addiction yep. uh, about, the, about why, I suppose, again. Mm. So we actually talked about, the actual original idea, believe it or not, was um, maybe we should try and do a rehab story. We should do a detox rehab story. Yep. That's what we should do. Because, hey, like, it's addiction, right? That's the only thing relating to addiction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or so I thought. Like like filming inside a rehab or following an individual journey or something like that? Yeah. So we started off by going, well, do we go inside a big rehab and do that? And then we talked through the legals and the ethics and also the creative difficulties with that. And so then I said, why don't we create our own? <laughs> Which is mad, right? But anyway, you have mad ideas. That's what you do in TV. You, go, you kind of start with a blank sheet of paper and you talk shit, you know? You come up with crazy stuff. So it's yeah. like, okay, so what about if we create our own rehab? Because then consent issues will be dealt with more easily, I suppose, in a way, because everyone who's there knows why they're there and that's the purpose of it. And then we talked all this through. And putting aside the costs, the logistics, the ethics, which aren't small of that idea, mm. we obviously wanted to road test it as a concept. Yeah. Because one thing we do before we make anything is accept that we're not experts. The first yep. thing we have to accept is that we're pretty good at making television and film, I think. But there's people out there who do this all day long in whatever sphere. Yeah. So it's like, well, who knows about this stuff? You know, who do we talk to? I we actually talk to you yep. uh, during our development. And um, I also found out about Turning Point. Yep. And so I went to see Dan, L- Dan Lubman. And Dan uh, heads up Turning Point, which uh, I'm sure you guys know all this. You know, they're a national addiction and treatment centre and research centre. Yep. And they're, they're two k's down the road from my office where I'm sat now. Yep. So it's all felt quite good. So we sat down and chatted to Dan. And um, he said, why do you want to make this show? So he asked the right question, right? He yep. asked the question that you've got to answer. Yep. And I said, well, because we try and make things with a social conscience of Blackfell Films, we, um, we're always looking for the next big issue that isn't being talked about or isn't being talked about responsible. We're always looking to break down stigma and stereotype. Um, 
I read a statistic the other day that it takes X number of years for people to seek help and they're not seeking help because of the stigma and stereotype and we want to start a conversation that breaks down that so ultimately people will put their hand up and ask for help. That's yep. why we want to make this show. And then he's like, brilliant. That is fantastic. So how are you going to do it? <laughs> and I said, and I said, bear with me, right? I know we've just met, but we want to maybe set up a detox rehab unit. And for 28 days, we follow 10 people through and we bring all the experts in and we follow this process. And then there was one of those pauses um, in a meeting that probably lasted six or seven seconds, but yeah. you know, I thought the seasons changed outside because it, it seemed to last so long. It sort of went day, night, day, night when I was waiting for <laughs> to hear what, what Dan was going to say. And he, he was very respectful, but he said, that's great. But if you do that, I, I fear that you won't actually crush stereotype and stigma. You'll actually reinforce stereotype and stigma. And I asked yeah. him to explain. And he said, because you've done what most people do, which is assume that the be all and end all of treatment is detox and rehab. Mm. you will only see a very narrow slice of what addiction means if that's your focus mm. and you won't actually achieve your goals yep at which point there was probably an even longer pause when i was thinking how what do i say now because he's just killed it and like he's he's right to kill it like he's he's spot on like i can't defend i can't you know i can't come up with an argument you know i've said what i want to do he said if you do that you won't achieve it so I said, well, what does good treatment look like? And then yeah. he told me about all the problems with treatment in Australia and the private sector and a whole range of things. He told me about what the problems were and yeah. what they were trying to achieve. So I said, I said, I've no idea if this is possible, Dan, but why would you be willing to go away and do a bit of writing for me? It's kind of like the wrong way around. But I said, why don't you come back to me and tell me what, a really good six months treatment program would look like. Yeah. And then I'll write it into television and then I'll take it to ABC, SBS, whoever, mm -hmm. and, and say, this is what we reckon we should do. Mm. So that's what happened. Wow. It's really, it's, it's really interesting to hear how it, how it happened from conception. And I love like the last part that you articulated. Um, and I think, it's what you meant when you said earlier, you know, that not that you're saying that you can produce the shows better than anyone else, but when you're talking about these social issues and, and the space that I know alcohol and, and drugs that I've learned heaps about as well in, in terms of like, sometimes you can talk about it and think that you're helping, but you're actually reinforcing stereotypes and, and stigma and, and things like that. So yeah, it's amazing that you actually went to go, you know, went in that consultation process and then, yeah, eventually got to Dan who kind of told you yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah. no, because yeah. I, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of a cynical view for me, but I imagine that there would probably be, and it's probably a hard thing for you guys to navigate as well. Um, but there would probably be a lot of people that would just say, yeah, let's do the rehab and detox thing because they want, you know, naturally exposure and, and stuff for their organization and, and whatever. So, yeah. yeah and, and, and again, it goes back to why, you know, you can make, I mean, I don't have a problem with making factual programs that people watch. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds a bit daft, but you know, actually you can have both. You can have programs that 
have a social conscience, that have a purpose, and um, people want to tune in. Mm. It doesn't mean just because they're thoughtful that they're worthy and dull. Yeah. Um, I think you can have both. And I mean, I'm lucky enough to work for Blackfella and also be supported by, you know, organisations like the ABC and SBS to kind of do that. Yeah. Um, and that's exciting um, um, because, yeah, they're the hardest shows to make. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're unbelievably challenging to make. But as my, um, the reason you go and speak to people like Dan is when I first trained to do this job years and years, like, you know, when TV was black and white um, and <laughs> I was doing training, um, my tutor said to me, she goes, you'll never have to be an expert yourself, but you yeah. have to be an expert at finding experts. And yeah. it's always stuck with me that you just need to speak to people who know a hell of a lot more than you. <laughs> yeah. And then listen to them. Yeah. And then work it out. Yeah. So that person, you know. Yeah, so interesting. So um, just going back, I'm interested to know, like you said, because because you said that you've done a few, you know, you've done a few big um, kind of productions and shows with Blackfella Films and, and beforehand with some pretty kind of hot um, button topics. Yeah. What made, like you, you mentioned that it was re- like probably the most challenging Addicted Australia, just like with with that kind of starting process and all the legal and ethical and all that stuff. What about this subject made that so difficult? Um, everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so SBS was so good in that they backed the idea and they trusted us to make it. I suppose we had a track record yeah. of making really challenging things. But, and it's okay because I've told them this since. But when we... <laughs> got the commission, it wasn't blind faith that people would want to be on the show. But I remember saying to Dan, I said, are people going to want to do this? As in, are people going to want to come forward to take part in a six-month filming uh, treatment program, A, number one, but B, the whole thing's going to be filmed. Like, everything. Like, we're filming all the treatment. Like, that's like, there's no... Oh, we could do that. I mean, obviously, if there's a particular moment, you'll see it, and you, you see it, you guys, if you watch the series, there's moments in it where people ask for the cameras to stop. And that's fine. We're always going to stop. But mm-hmm. in terms of, like, not going to each psychology session, psychiatry session, group peer support, that was off the top. We were at everyone. Yeah, wow. And we, were, we didn't miss a thing. And we were in filming in people's houses and their lives. Um, so... That's a way of answering the question. So what made it difficult? I didn't know if we could do it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know if enough people were going to agree. And um, I need to, this needs some context, but if the right people were going to say yes, because yeah. I don't mind admitting that in, in television, you need a balance. You need, we, mm. we, were, we want a diversity in every sense. We want a diversity, gender diversity, age diversity, ethnic diversity, um, mm type of addiction diversity, age diversity, mm. you know, A, because that's, that's what works for television, yeah. but B, because that's, that's true. Mm. <laughs> like there is no such thing as an addict. So we needed to reflect that. We needed to reflect that socioeconomically they came from different places, mm. you know, mm. because we didn't want to create that, again, that stereotype of what an addict looks like. We needed to fight that by presenting the truth, not by fighting it by tipping the table in a particular direction, actually just getting the people who we know represented the real story but but 
we knew I didn't know if that could happen. I didn't know if they'd say yes. So that was hard. Yeah. <laughs> and scary. I'm, so so when you put out the call, like just just for so everybody yeah. can get did you get inundated or were you so yeah, so we um we tried, we did lots of different ways. We spoke, I mean, obviously turning point, but then we spoke to so many organizations. I, I wouldn't imagine there were many left. Um yep. in particularly in Victoria, but yep. even, you know, we went into state as well just to gain greater knowledge. But we went to um, other organizations who offer treatment to yep. talk to them about past clients, would they be appropriate? Like we absolutely cast the net wide. But mm. then we also did social media. You know, we did put ads on social media, which is a which is a very well worn path now. Like when I started out, <laughs> the internet didn't exist. Yeah, um, I don't know how you'd make a show like that now. <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't know. Um, but anyway, we we did a lot of social media. So yeah, we had um we had a phone number and we had an email account specially set up. And every day we'd come in. Yep. And we'd press refresh. You know. Wow. And we'd wait to see the names come up. Wow. And they came in and they came in and we contacted all of those people. And that's the next stage. You, you cannot start that process unless you have a code of conduct and an ethical roadmap in place. So mm. every project we write a code of conduct and it's the first thing I do. Mm. So the, literally the first thing we do on a show is once you've got the, tr the treatment as it's called and what people would know is kind of rough scripts in place, although mm. it's completely unscripted of course, but you know, you, you write these treatments. Treatment is, sorry, shouldn't get confused. A treatment in documentary terms is the proposal. Yeah, yeah. What the show is. After that point, the very next thing you do is actually start writing a code of conduct. Yeah. Which is, what? Are, how are you going to behave? How is everybody going to behave on this production in all of these following scenarios? Yeah. To one another, externally, internally, everyone involved. What's yep. our map? Now, you can't predict every single scenario, but you can predict quite a few. Yeah. So before we even set that email account up and people start asking, say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I want treatment. What, what happened? What did we do there? Like, so we start getting emails and people say, I need help. Like if we haven't thought about what we then do, like what we just chat to them and say, and see if they're good for the show. And say, Thanks very much. We'll get back in touch. Like yeah. how do we, like, if you set that ball rolling, you've got to know how to control the ball, right? Yeah. So we had quite a lot of things in place already where um, all the guys who were taking those calls and making those calls had already been um, received some training in um, mental health first aid. Um, we'd gone into Turning Point. We talked to specialists there about counselling. Not so we could become those people, but just so we were aware. Yeah. Um, aware of the warning signs if we needed to actually not say, yeah, thanks very much, we'll get back in touch we were ready to say, have you got the number for Lifeline? I don't yep. want to be clear about that. Like we needed to be that ready. Yeah. And we needed to give people timeframes and we needed to always um, follow through on that. Mm. You know, you not, not ever make any promise that couldn't be dealt with. Like don't over promise and say, you're going to be back in touch or it's going to happen in this time frame. If, it, if it's not like, you know what it's like. Mm. These people have finally asked for help. Mm. They're as vulnerable as they could possibly be. The contact they have with you better be good. Yeah. It better be authentic and it better be thought through and it better have an ethical roadmap. Yeah. Because if it doesn't, I'm not going to sleep very well. Mm. And um and and so that's 
before you press. So everyone wants to know about making the show. Yeah. We haven't employed a camera person yet. So that's all right. Um, can I just because it's recording, right? I just yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Hey, Bob, I'm just in a recorded interview. Um, so I'll just run back a bit there. Yeah. So the process starts very early. You know, we, everyone, when they want to talk about making a documentary or when they ever ask me about it, they're like, oh, that bit when you were filming that, how did you do that? What happened? Da, da, da. Actually, probably the most amount of work happens before anyone's pressed the red button, as I call it. Yeah. Our recording has happened. Yeah. Have you used any analogy that you want? Building a house. How are your foundations? How good are your foundations? If you messed up your foundations, doesn't matter how good your frame is, your roof is, your whatever is, it will fall on its own. It will fall down and it will fail and it will be miserable and you'll let people down. Yeah. Um, that isn't that doesn't mean to say you don't make mistakes. That doesn't mean to say you're faultless. It just means that you've thought about it. And can you stand there and say, have I thought about this properly? Yeah. And have I got the expert advice to know how to deal with what we're going to be faced with? And those issues started then and they didn't stop until, well, have they stopped even yeah. actually? Have those ethical responsibilities stopped even now? They certainly didn't stop until way after it had been broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. So, so um, I remember thinking, right, like, so I, yeah, when I saw the show and spoke to Dan and I think I spoke to someone from Blackfellow films and, yeah. and just said, yeah, like happy to help put the word out there. And I remember thinking the same thing, like when we put it out through our channels, I was thinking, Oh, I don't know. Like, cause traditionally I found it if there's been other things in media, you know, sort of challenging to get people to put their hand up and, and want to, you know, share their story sometimes totally understandable um so i remember thinking oh shit i don't know if this is gonna go well <laughs> and i was amazed like i remember we put it out there email and like a messenger broadcasting and for us we were kind of like inundated with like hundreds of messages from people all in different states and i was just like i was like wow you know they so it just shows and then the interesting thing that i found when we interviewed lucas um, cause I, I asked him, um, you know, how did you like, did you, what was it like going in knowing that everything was going to be filmed and like, how did you feel about the cameras being there? And which is representative of unfortunately what the treatment system's like, which is what the documentary was there to show is that he just said, well, I was just so desperate to get like some help and the way that the program was structured was just perfect for me. I'd seen nothing like it. So at that point, I didn't even care. I just like wanted some help. And I thought, wow, like that's amazing, you know. Which, which, so on the one hand, I'm thinking, great, he's totally committed to this. On the other hand, I have concerns. Yeah. I remember that with Luke. I remember the Luke. I remember um, particularly with people who have gambling issues, um, we noticed this. Okay, it's not. It's only anecdotal. I'm not claiming to have written a thesis on this, but we got yeah. quite interesting insights into how people work yeah. and how their minds work. And in terms of people who were asking for help who were uh, suffering from gambling issues, 
they would ring and want help. And we had to say, there's a process to go through. Yeah. And we'd often get back in touch and they'd have gone. Yeah. They needed the help then. Yeah. And Lucas was remarkable because he held on. And I know that was really hard for him. But yeah. we were, we were, I hope, I hope he agrees. We were dead straight with him. Yeah. We said, this is a process that we have to go through. We have to get everyone on board before we can start. There are other avenues to go through if you need to get treatment now. We can't make it happen any faster, but we understand it's difficult. Yeah. The other thing is that that desperation he felt comes with a huge responsibility from our point of view. Yeah. So informed consent. So is there a danger that someone says, I don't care if it's been filmed, I don't care, this is the best treatment I'm ever going to get? Mm. Ethically tricky, right? Because Very. he knows he's going to get the best treatment he's ever going to get, but we've been up front from the start, it means you're going to be filmed. Yeah. Now, is that fair? Is it reasonable that someone who's vulnerable, the trade-off is being filmed? Mm. So we have to ask that really, really carefully. Like, so we have a whole process that they went through where they went to see an independent clinical psychologist mm. who assessed their um, level of vulnerability and their level of being able to cope with being filmed over the course of six months and what their true motivation was to take part. Mm. Mm. Because the people watching and listening to this will either believe this or they're not, or they won't. Mm. But I can safely tell you that we regularly don't include people on in our shows because we think they're entirely motivated only to appear on television, mm. Mm. which is not Lucas in any way at all. That was, that's the opposite. He was coming from the opposite spectrum. I guess what I'm saying is, is that we have antenna up for everything yeah. in terms of motivation. And the sense of responsibility to Lucas and the others was huge because we, the danger was they were willing to be filmed because it meant they got treatment. Yeah. And we had to go through a process to make sure they fully understood the implications of being filmed. Mm. Mm. We had to walk them through as best as we could what it meant now, mm. what it meant during, what it meant when it was broadcast and what it meant afterwards. Mm. you can still watch this show now yeah and they needed to hear that and they needed to hear that not just from me but they needed to hear that from independent people mm. who we use on all our productions yes we pay them but they they are you know they're independent clinical psychologists who yeah. make their decision and feedback to us and talk about people's suitability to take part mm. and that would be one of the criteria yeah um again we haven't pressed record <laughs> yeah this is all before the show started no, and I think that th these are the kind of insights that, you know, we wanted to kind of get because, um, yeah, you, I guess when you sit down on your couch at night and you turn on the TV, um, you naturally go, wow, this is amazing, but how did this happen or how does this come about? You know, so I think it's very interesting for people to hear. So the other big question that I'm really interested to ask you is, Per, on a personal level for you, what was your experience of drug use and addiction, you know, before the show and, and has like, was there any standout 
things for you because you know you mentioned that you're on site a lot like during filming and and with people and i think luke i think again like lucas said that you were are you know around him sometimes or often throughout the filming um and and it was funny actually i'm just reflecting on what he said the fact checkers will pull me up but I'll, i'll go back and listen to it but i'm pretty sure he said like towards towards the end it was actually really helpful to have the crew around him because you know they were kind of like checking him on his like thinking sometimes and stuff which is really interesting so um because do i pick up like a hint of uh a uk a pommy a pommy accent in there yeah 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 so i imagine there's a time spent in watering holes and and stuff like that (laughs) back there that would be fair that would be fair and you know addiction has been um part of my wider family you know um yeah with people you know, well, whose family hasn't been touched by it? Yeah. Um, my family is no different. You know, I, I lost, uh, um, yeah, there's people in my life who have been lost through addiction. Yeah. And um, and it's always interested me from the point of view is where is the line? Mm. And I, I find that really interesting. Uh, when does something tip across yeah. into addiction? Um, I find it fascinating how different substances are viewed differently because of their social acceptance. Yeah. Alcohol being the prime example. The UK and Australia have a particular relationship with alcohol that I think we all know. Yeah. I think it's changing, actually, I hope. But broadly speaking, alcohol's a good thing, right? Yeah. And, oh, no, don't do drugs, though. (laughs) You know, that kind of, and that was my upbringing and it mm. reflects probably the upbringing of many, many people. Mm. Um, and it's interesting now having my own, three of my own kids, young kids, and you're thinking about what does the future hold for them? Um, and yeah, and then you look around the world about how they deal with addiction in different ways and, yeah. and the criminality that's associated with it. Why is one thing illegal and one thing not? You know, that whole thing fascinated me from day dot. Yeah. Because it comes back to the stereotype and stigma and the judgment that's cast. Yeah. Oh, it's like, are you drinking too much? Yeah, so do I. You take ice. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Are you a gambler? Can't you just stop? Like gambling, yeah. like, <laughs> gambling like you just stop, don't you? Because it's not giving you any kind of buzz. Like it's not like taking a substance. Yeah, so all of these things, you know, every show we do, I actually write up all the things people think yeah. about that subject. So homelessness, I remember we made a big show, homelessness, it's their fault. Um, uh, they were addicts and then became homeless, you know, all these yeah. things. And then when you make the show, you tip everything on its head and go back the other way. Yeah. So I remember yeah. there was a big moment and actually part of the reason we made Addicts to Australia is because of some of the issues that came up making filthy rich and homeless. I remember, and I didn't know that. I didn't, I, I, I kind of, it's not surprising ultimately, but I didn't know statistically that addiction comes after homelessness yeah. more often than it causes it. And I think most people, would, a lot of people would still be surprised to hear that. Yeah. So I was asking myself, what do people believe about addiction and how can we confront that through mm. this journey? Um, one of the things was, uh, again, going back to the idea of substances are all different and all addictions are different. Yeah, they are all different. 
but there's a commonality. So how can we show that? And this is all from talking to Dan and other people like him who educate me. And then I kind of work out, well, how are we going to show this? Um, another one would be um, uh, why, you know, again, why can't you just stop? Yeah. The classic. Can't, you know, can't you see how much problem this is causing? Can't you just stop? There's that one. And then there's the, um, obviously, you just went to too many parties then. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And, you know, you got into drugs and you couldn't stop taking them. And, you know, the most important question I was ever taught, and it's not rocket science, you know, in journalism, which is where I started out, is the why. Mm. So you've got to ask why you're making a show and you keep asking why. In Mm. lots of different ways, you keep asking why. And the one that interested me most, and I think the one that I became most educated upon during the process was um, why... Do people suffer? Hugely varied, as you know. But oh, is my internet went? Yeah, sorry, we just yeah. we just uh, disappeared into the Zoom yeah. universe right. for a second. No, I was just saying, you know, on every show you ask the why question, and yeah, a, a hugely important question on this is is you know you have to ask the question as to why people suffer from addiction. And, you know, it seems to me from what I've been told and what I witnessed is that trauma is at the base of that. Yeah. And we had to educate the audience on that. Mm. Mm. You know, um, that it's not people's fault and it's not their choice. You don't wake up and go, I know, I'll I'll become an addict because that will really, that will be a wonderful life. Yeah. You know, it's it's horrendous. Yeah. And I kind of knew that. But I kind of didn't at all. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Not really. Not when, yeah. you, when you actually see it. Not when someone like a Lucas tells you that he's got this much money and he has no control about blowing it all mm. on the horses, even though he's got rent to pay, food to buy. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've got to, you, when you see that happen, you it's your responsibility to ask the question why in a, and with sympathy and empathy and, A willingness to accept what the answer is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, and I think I think you guys did a, a good job at kind of going behind the scenes of the lives. That that was probably something that I was surprised at actually. You know, when you mentioned that before, just how you were able to um, kind of really get inside their life and and follow them around and talk to family and you know all that kind of stuff i remember when i first kind of flicked on the show i thought oh it's gonna be um i knew it was like the outpatient sort of setup but i thought it was just gonna be mainly filming them while they were in the therapy or the sessions and stuff like that yeah um so yeah it was it was um surprising to see that inner workings if you like yeah yeah well again you know um Again, these things sound so glib, but like, guess what? Addicts are people, you know? Yeah. And it's like, if we, if we reduce them to only be representing the addiction, uh-huh. I don't think we're doing enough of a job. Yeah. So if we only see what their addiction is and the treatment for that addiction, mm. we're not seeing the fact they've got a mark or a sister or a brother or they're, or, or they're a parent. Mm. 
like, and I think that, and television's um, sort of brutal like that. You either see it or you don't. So unless people allow you access to their lives, you don't see it. Yeah. Right? I can write yeah. a newspaper article, fine. But I can't, if you haven't seen So it was entirely up to them, but we were upfront from the beginning that we wanted to be in their homes mm. and mm. we wanted to be around their families. Yeah. Um, because we wanted to present that bigger picture mm. of their life. And it didn't mean we had to film everything. It didn't mean we, we followed them. We didn't follow them endlessly. And we, you know, <laughs> um, but we didn't miss any treatment. That's true. We didn't miss any treatment. Yeah. Fantastic. So, um, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't want to throw you too many hard balls in the, in the interview, but is there, is there anything that you regret about the show? Oh, no, that's a good question. Regret. You'd always do things differently, but um, some of them are sort of production based. I don't, yeah. I don't regret anything in terms of uh, the concept, mm. um, the ethics. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you'd have to ask all the guys who took part in it, but I, I honestly believe we did the best we could in terms of our duty of care. Yeah. So um, I know it goes back, but when you're setting up that code of conduct at the beginning that we talked about, um, part of that is so I can sleep. Like actually, <laughs> um, knowing that me and my team and the incredible team, because you know there were four guys out there with those cameras, you know, shooting that material. Yeah. Uh, which was an incredible job they did have you done everything you could to put, make everyone as safe as they could possibly be and mm. do, and just do it in the right way. Mm. So sorry, I'm, I'm very happy to expose myself and regrets, but in terms of that, which was my biggest concern before the show happened, mm -hmm. I don't have any regrets. Fantastic. I, I, I honestly, hang on, I can say that. There's always, I think, I think in terms of the production, um, this was supposed to be a three-part series when it was commissioned. Right. And we argued for a fourth episode. Yeah. And we won that argument with SBS and very grateful for them for backing us and turning it into four parts. We could have made five. We probably could have made six. Yeah. Um, and So you feel like there could have been maybe more context or something like put into the or the story could have been? Yeah. I mean, there always can. I mean, um, um so to give an idea to those guys listening who want to know or watching, um, traditional documentary work on a ratio. No, what is a traditional documentary? But anyway, a traditional documentary works on a rough ratio if you film 20 hours of material for one hour. So when you turn on the TV at night and you watch an hour documentary, 20 hours for one. Wow. This was close to a thousand to one. Wow. So we had, yeah, we had not hundreds, but thousands of hours of material. And we had potentially three hours and we got it to four. So does, so, someone, does someone sit back and watch all that material? One, so between us, every single frame has been watched. That is fucked. No, like it's great to obviously pull it out, but from a full amateur standpoint, you know, like when we do these interviews, we, we chop up little clips for social media and stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I <laughs> and I can't be stuffed sitting down sometimes and just 
which is only like an hour, hour and a half interview. I'm just like, oh, I'll just get sick of it, you know. So that would be hard, a thousand hours. Yeah, and and so um, we've got a brilliant team of editors and assembly editor, and but between us, and and not just once, by the way. So everything will have been watched once, and some things will have been, I don't even, I could, I wouldn't even be able to tell you how many times. Mm, mm. I mean, that's the process. The process of making television, as someone once said to me, and it's so true is we spend an enormous amount of time, call you for a yeah. you know? What's interesting about the process of making factual programming, particularly factual documentary, is you spend a really long time making something as simple as you can yeah. with lots of complex layers within it. Which sounds yeah. like a complete contradiction, but that's actually what you're doing. Yeah. Because how else do you turn this much material into this much? Yeah. And when people always say, how come that wasn't in? And they're right to say it. <laughs> I always say, well, what do you want to take out? Yeah. <laughs> and most of the time people go, oh, nothing. And, and th- that was hard. And I, I mean, we did our best to absolutely prepare everyone for that eventuality. But going back to the question, any regrets, you, you can't help but go, ah, oh, there, there was some really good stuff that could have been in there. Mm. Mm. But, but I don't believe that anything that's in there shouldn't have been. Yeah, so yeah. You have answered your own question. Is there, is there any way like, cause I just, I, I think it would be interesting cause to be honest, like when I watched it, that's what I thought. Like I, I kind of felt like I, I did know exactly what you're saying. And I knew that fuck, there would be lots of stuff there that didn't make the cut, but yeah, it just kind of left you wanting to know more of the story, you know? Is there, do you do it with other shows? Like I'm not sure around the commercial agreements that you have around the film and stuff, but you know, is there opportunities for you down the track to release, you know, stuff on the YouTube or internet or anything like that? Yeah, It's not something, it's not something we've done before. There's sometimes, you know, like back in the days of making DVDs, it used to be like DVD extras and stuff where yeah. extended things used to be on there. Um, it's not something we did with this show. I mean, to kind of what I said, again, the analogy, you know, like it's like a recipe. Um, you don't just put all the best bits in. Yeah. So it's it's because it's got to work as a as a, a story. Yeah. yeah. And so you need things to counter one another and juxtapose and, and narratively work alongside. I know I'm saying all stuff that people know, mm. but actually that that process is actually the hardest. You can always put stuff in. Putting stuff yeah. in easy what, what aren't you going to put in uh, and and so a scene that you know you might go oh this seems like a an eight out, of, an eight out of ten everyone loves it it's an amazing scene it reveals so much yeah why do you put the six out of ten scene in yeah because you need the six out of ten scene to make sense of everything else because it's got some vital context in there that you have to have so that's the process all the way through it's why a one-hour episode takes 11 weeks to edit yeah yeah you know nah. And, and I actually, I feel a bit stupid saying this, you know, because I feel like I'm the pickup basketball player talking to like Michael Jordan sort of equivalent, but you know, like just even from, I totally get it. Like when we do social media stuff, the, the hardest videos I find to make are like the little 15 second to 30 second bloody TikTok videos, because like we take out, yeah, interviews and different like inspirational characters and chop out like what they're saying. And it's just so hard to like get 
what like a little story into a into a shorter condensed version and convey what you want to it's it's really challenging yeah (laughs) and one of the processes we had during the editing was that um we showed uh the what we call it rough cut stage you know when it's not finished but it's kind of making sense all of the guys involved watched that Mm. so all of the the 10 participants and turning point watched it and it was really interesting how that ebbed and flowed Mm. because it was essentially linear so you know we followed it for six months and the episodes pretty much followed in that order yeah and so of course people you know they were like well where's that bit and you're like you've got to whack like we're not doing that yet you know <laughs> like because you've got to partly of it is you know what can the audience cope with at any given point yeah kind of drip feed it all the way through so it has to be even though they're four episodes you're actually making one thing yeah. And so part of the, the the craft, I suppose, is is knowing when to hold off. Yeah. Um, and I know that was hard at times for both Turning Point and the Ten. They were like watching, going, "Well, when are we?" You know, I remember Dan saying, "Well, when are you going to do the stuff about trauma?" Like, like I don't get it. Like, like, geez, like there's a danger people are going to watch this and they're not going to understand that trauma is a huge, you know, is the motivate is the main reason for people's addiction. And I sort of said to him, I get it, totally here. We have had quite a bit of trauma already and quite a lot's going to come. So yep. we've got to balance it. And who's fine in the end? That's good. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, no, I, um, I definitely don't envy that job. It would have been, it would have been challenging to, um, yeah, tell the story, but make sure everyone felt okay about it as well. Yeah. That yeah, was in it, that participated in it and was invested in it. And, yeah. Well, yeah, because you cannot, you cannot, it's a myth to say we are going to show everything that happened. Mm. A thousand hour long documentary, right? Yeah, yeah. What you've got to be able to say, hand on the heart, is does that represent what happened? Mm. Mm. And is what is in there truthful? Yeah. Obviously, factually accurate, but also factually accurate is one thing. There's a bigger truth at play yeah. in terms of the body of work. And some people say that's impossible to achieve, and they might be right. Yeah. But you've just got to keep working until you, you know, you think you've achieved it. Yeah. You know? Interesting. And what was your what like? So I asked you the negative, like the regrets. What was the what were you the most proud of with with what you did with the documentary or or what was conveyed in it? Well, it was vicarious pride really yeah my all my pride was how proud the 10 should feel yeah honestly it was like that's the thing that i'm most moved by yeah um i think i did it you know i'm proud of the job i do generally but in terms of real pride it's watch. it's watching their journeys i mean unbelievable yeah unbelievable yep. bravery unbelievable commitment um extraordinary people like yep. some of the strongest most resilient brave people we could ever meet yeah and i would imagine that australia's version of an addict doesn't normally include um descriptions like that right those aren't yeah. the first words that come to mind. Yeah. Brave, stoical, committed, unbelievably resilient. 
you know, and that's the truth. That's yeah. They they are and they were. Mm, mm. Um, yeah. So the pride is in what they achieved. I love that. I love that. So I'm probably you've probably uh, I don't know. By the way, you've probably got Dan bite, biting at the bit for you after that. But what do you think? Series two? Can you give us an exclusive on the <laughs> on the show? We we would we, we'd love to make another series. We would love to make another series. Um, yep. You know, ultimately, it's never an independent production company's decision. You know, you need the broadcast. You need the funding agencies. You need all that to happen. Yeah. It would be great. Um, I think because um, how did it rate? How did it rate? Sorry to yeah, interrupt. How did it, it, it rate? It rated really well. It rated well, and then probably um, where it was most exciting was um, in on demand. Like the catch up was amazing. Yeah. Obviously, people's viewing habits have changed enormously now. Like it's crazy. Who sits down at eight thirty exactly? And you know those days are sort of gone. So no one. <laughs> so it's all about everyone has their different way of working, and so. The on-demand figures at SBS were amazing. And, and one of the things that was really exciting was it rated very well amongst the younger demographic. Wow. And younger demographic isn't necessarily the traditional audience for documentaries on yeah. SBS and ABC. Yeah. So, so there was something about the subject matter that attracted a, a younger, curious demographic, um, which is great. I also know that, you know, um, talking to Turning Point, that you know, they, the spikes they saw in in people, you know, coming forward and checking out what they do and and and, mm. and seeking help. Um, I think that's hugely gratifying because at yeah. the end of the day, yes, you do this to make in the hope that people watch and that become educated and informed. Mm. But actually, you want the ripple effect to go far and wide. You want it to work at a very um, micro level, and if that is an individual watching and going, mm. I'm going to ring that number. Yeah. That will do me, actually. Yeah. But if there's a lot of people who do that, and then further up the chain, people start looking about the kind of treatment they're providing, mm. and then further up the chain from that, you know, people who are in positions of power start questioning how we should look at treatment in this country. Mm. And, you know, when people stand up in Parliament, as they did in Victorian Parliament and reference the show and reference Turning Point and talk about where we might want to head um, in terms of dealing with this massive social issue. Mm. That's exciting. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's why that's why you make it. Hundred mm. percent. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like just just what you said there about the series two. Like it's it's funny, right? Like so my and I've, I've spoken to a few people about this, like the whole time, like through the whole process. And again, I'm not, not involved in any real way, but I, like I've always wanted to see a show like this happen just to kind of spark the conversation. But then at the same time, like everything that you kind of talked about heavily at the start of this interview, like all the, the ethical stuff that comes along with it, the whole, you know, the whole time I've just been like, oh, yes, it's great. Oh, not sure. Yes, it's great. Oh, not sure. And I think that's the, I think the hardest thing about it. And a lot of people that I've spoken to are the same. Um, because on one hand, it's like fantastic for the overall like movement of things shifting. 
And that's what I thought. That's what I took out of the show as well. I thought these people are like incredible, you know? Um, and we yeah. only spoke to Craig and Lucas. It'd be great to speak to the others if they're, if they're listening and they want to, but um, yeah, he, I think that was good for me too. Hearing Lucas kind of say, no, no, like it, it was a great experience for him, you know, and that, you know, it was something that's helped him and in, you know, and he'd do it again. In a, I'm pretty sure he said that. I'd do well, it, he I'd talked do it about again. it kept him accountable. That's right. Yeah. It was part, part of the process of being filmed kept, kept him accountable, which is great. Mm. And, and I would love to see like, cause I think the series is done and, and you would have learned this over the time. Like, and I think you guys would be well positioned to do it. I'm not trying to create your pitch deck for you. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but yeah, it would be, I know that would be another web of ethical issues, but I think it'd be really interesting to do stuff around. Yeah. The indigenous communities around, you know, probably alcohol in particular, but yeah you know, drugs and stuff as well. And, and, or, or just, you know, the, the multicultural aspects of it as well. Like, cause yeah. I, I think that's a whole nother, it's like you have the alcohol and drug system and it's terrible. People call it the mainstream system, which basically just means city folk and, you know, yeah. kind of white Australians, I guess, yeah. but it's, it's um yeah, it's, it's a complete different kettle of fish and even harder you know, and impacts in so many different ways in all those other communities. It'd be so interesting as a yeah. series two, like that yeah. next element, you know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, yourself, the stigma, if you think, if you think the stigma is high amongst, you know, <laughs> Anglo-Australians, it's off the charts. That's right. You know, when it comes to certain um, ethnic communities, you know, it's, 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 it's an incredible thing that those guys have to face, you know, um, yeah. and deal with. Um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's, there's, look, the point is if you, in terms of like ethically challenging and all the rest of it, I think you have to look at it and sort of, you know, you look at what Heidi, Heidi says at the end, well, Heidi's sort of in a way, a sort of symbol, if you like, of addiction. Yep. Because there's Heidi and she has an alcohol problem and it's secret. Yeah. And in some ways that sort of represents where Australia's at with addiction. Mm. Don't want to talk about it. We want to keep it secret because of the judgment and because of the stigma and because of the stereotyping. Mm. What we actually need to do is talk about it. So I always felt justified in trying to make this series because there was a bigger thing at play here, which is that just as it was with, say, mental health 10 years ago, when mm. no one talked about it, there is only one solution to not talking about something, right? Yeah. Right. And Heidi tells us at the end of the documentary that we have to talk about this. Mm. And her journey from going from someone who's drinking in secret to someone who sought treatment, had the bravery to do that and has come out and faced and confronted her fears and found that there are people there willing to help and support her mm. gives us, I think, the hopeful story that we could all latch onto, which is we have to talk about this because it's the only way that things will get better. Mm. So it's not a solution to, to, to bury this, you know, it's just, it's just not a, it's just that we can't do that. Now, sure. People go, oh, it's easy for you to say, mate, you're a TV producer. You'll move on to the next thing. They're right. It is. Yeah. 
but it is also what I believe. Yeah. And it's what people I've talked to who, again, know a lot more than me believe mm. who work in the space. And um, what, why are you doing what you're doing? Mm. You know, because mm. you, you've got to talk about it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm really hopeful that addiction will be seen in that mental health space mm. because that's what it is. Mm. You know, and, and that we will be talking about this like we now are able to talk about depression and anxiety and people feel okay about doing that. There's still stigma around um, mental health, but it's nothing like what it was. Yeah. And I, I'm hopeful that that can happen with addiction. I don't know what you think. I don't know whether you think that's possible. Yeah. Well, I definitely think, um, yeah, I think you're right. Like, you know, I definitely think it's gone a long, long way in the last five years, but probably particularly in the last two years, you know, it's, um, it's really progressed. And, you know, when shows like you guys just made come out, it's just every, like whether people, I don't want to speak for everyone in this space. Hey, but it's my fucking podcast. So, (laughs) but I think whether people, you know, cause you're always going to get that. And that's what I admire about probably your job, which I would find challenging personally is that like you put stuff out there and, and you know, it's your kind of uh, creation and people would probably, you probably get some negative feedback. You get some really positive feedback and it'd be like, Jesus, I'm just trying to do the right thing. But whether, yeah. whether people um, loved it, which a lot of people did, I saw so much stuff, particularly on social media, so many people talking about it people didn't like it, whatever, is that I think overall it's just such a good thing for the space and people are really happy in the space that, you know, we finally got some good airtime around this stuff um, because, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 no, you got it. Yeah, because cause it's just like you said, like it's just simply like starting the conversation and more and more people will talk about it out loud because the reality is is that, politicians influential people everyday australians you know like you said yourself usually there's like some kind of story of addiction in their lives and you know only if you had them speaking about it out aloud we could change so many other problems uh, like social problems as well or or impact them for the positive you know so yeah 100 percent. and i think what's interesting is is that you know all of the concerns i had at the beginning you know we we were able to make a series that um hopefully it was done in the right way that people watched um and i can safely say that of all the shows we made and we made some really challenging ones <laughs> made some really really challenging shows um i can't remember a series that had such positive feedback like unit like from our point of view um fantastic so universally positive you know and and that that's really about the 10 guys in there and it's about turning point and it's about how they represent themselves and, and, you know, we tried to be faithful to that. Mm. Um, but it is interesting that I was fearful of reaction. Yeah. But I, I take a huge positive, not just a personal, professional positive out of it, that people liked it and were very positive, but there's a bigger picture there. If people were positive about this, it means that there's goodwill out there, mm. you know? And I always think that there's more goodwill than people you know, then we give us a hundred percent. I could not agree more with that. You know? So sometimes what happens, I'm not just talking about the alcohol and drug sector, but this is a, this is a big thing that I like give people a little jab in the guts about, 
you know, sometimes when you're in the sector or the community service sector where things are tough as fuck and it's yeah. hard, it's heartbreaking, you kind of uh, like you can get this bit of a cynical cloud that, you yeah. know, hangs over you and you kind of turn into Eeyore a little bit, you know, um, and you forget that there is actually a lot of goodwill and, and grassroots community willingness to to have changes and stuff and it just takes a little bit of a spark to get thing ha- get things happening i couldn't agree more yeah i i the big the big I, when we made um series about homelessness that was that was the biggest thing that i took from that i, I you know that fear that people don't we made the show because we didn't think people cared mm. to show mm. people prove that actually regular australians care a hell of a lot the problem was further up yeah there isn't yeah. a problem with like Australians having goodwill towards people who are vulnerable and suffering and struggling. There is an enormous, I mean, you look at the way Australia responds when something happens, you know, when there's a disaster or whatever, like they're phenomenal, right? Yeah. There's a real, uh, yeah, there's a huge amount of goodwill out there. And I, I think there's a fear, oh yeah, but they won't have goodwill towards people with addiction. Yeah. Well, no, they will. (laughs) will actually, you know? Yeah. Um, and, And I think like that's a lesson that we definitely learned that we can be, brave about that and, and and kind of um hope that people yeah hope that 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 people recognize that goodwill because if that's tapped into we could make a change 100 percent, fantastic so just to kind of finish up one of the really positive things that has come out of the show or off the back of the show is the rethink addiction campaign um which i believe is ww i'll put it in the show notes but www.rethinkaddiction.org.au i believe um and do you want to give a little plug for the upcoming event that is going on are you allowed to do that yeah no that sounds so it's uh, um geez you know what i'm glad this is recorded because i need to check the date right (laughs) Uh, i i was actually just doing the same thing (laughs) i'm going i'm going going. i'm going too but i i uh just putting my um, <laughs> is it the sick? No, God, hang on. I'll plug whatever I can. But um, as long that as was that was um, yeah, that was one without notice. Sorry about that. That's right. No, it's fine. Uh, yeah, May the I was right. I just didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a sixth. Yeah. May May the seventh. Well, I've got Thursday, May the sixth. Oh, May the sixth. Sorry, May the sixth. Yeah. It should have made it May the 4th so that everybody exactly. say May the 4th yeah, be with exactly. you. No. Exactly. No. So May May the 6th. Yeah. Did you want to give that a little bit of a plug? So uh, everyone listening, if you're not aware yet, it's starting to really get some good traction now, which is cool. And, and I feel like part of that is that there's more and more people, um, not that it's all about influential people, but, you know, there's more and more influential people coming out and they have a big impact on public perception and um, enthusiasm and, and things like that. So for instance, I know if I was already going, but you know, that, that Dame Beams I saw on the rethink addiction um, Instagram is, is talking or on the panel or, or something along those lines, which is awesome for me because I'm a footy nut. So, you know um, yeah. Uh, you're on the panel, uh, Shana um, or Shanna, always say her name wrong sorry shanna shanna Wan from sober in the country yeah so where's that and, and so that's so yeah thursday the 6th of may um 6 till 8 p.m uh at the edge federation square 
Fantastic. Um, and no, it's real. Look, it's a real privilege to be asked. Like, don't ask me, and I'm 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 delighted to be part of it. I think the Rethink Addiction campaign is a great idea. Mm. Um, it all again, it goes back to this idea that we've got to we've got to talk about it more. The more people that put their hand up and talk about this, the better. Um, and normalize this, mm. you know, um, because the irony is is that we're trying to bury something that will either affect you or will affect someone you know. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't we want to talk about that? Yeah. Like, it makes no sense not to talk about it. A hundred percent. You know, and so, yeah, any event that can kind of educate and include, I think that's the thing, it's very inclusive. You know, I think it's, it's trying to draw people in, um, mm. you know, from all different backgrounds, wherever you might come from, to talk about this subject um, yeah. and normalise it. hundred um, percent. You know, that's what's the key. That's the key. Um, Fantastic. No. Um, yeah. So everybody get down to that if you're in Melbourne, but if you're not in Melbourne and you won't be in Melbourne on May the 6th, there's um, definitely lots of social media stuff that you can get involved in digitally, share your stories, which has been really cool. I've been having a read of those um, and just, yeah, start the conversation in your own communities. And I'm sure off the which I know will be a success of this event in Melbourne. There'll be, I'm sure there'll be other ones that pop up around um, Oz in different places. So um, get behind that, but Hey, thanks so much for coming on and, and giving us a behind the curtains. Look at, look at all that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm not just saying it and blowing smoke up your backside cause you're on the podcast, but yeah, like I, I appreciate you coming on and talking about it because not just you personally, but I guess as a organization, when you're covering not just this topic, but as you said, lots of challenging social topics, trying to make something that's entertaining so that people watch it, but also trying to educate. Yeah. It's uh, I imagine it's difficult to put the work out there and then just <laughs> hold on to the side of your chair to hopefully hear the positive feedback, you know? So I appreciate yeah. it. No, thanks Jack. Thanks a lot. And, and the truth is, is that, you know, we can only ever make any documentary because people agree to be involved. So it's actually down to the 10 participants, their families and turning point because, you know, we do the easy bit. Yeah. We, we, we follow, we follow those stories, but without their bravery and honesty and goodwill, we can't, we keep talking about, let's talk about it, but if they don't, we can't. So yeah. they're, 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 they're the stars and, and we're so grateful to them. Fantastic. So just before we sign off, everybody, I'll also put um, the Addicted Australia SBS On Demand um, link in the show notes as well. So you can go and watch that if you haven't already. Um, and have a good day, everyone. Um, please get in contact with us. Yeah, if you need support or anything we've talked about is brought up any issues and really encourage you to get involved in the Rethink addiction campaign and watch the show and, and continue on the good work that um, Blackfella Films, Jacob and everyone involved um, has put together and, and started off. So thanks. Thanks, Jacob. No worries. Thanks for having me. Okay. So that was another episode of Real Drug Talk. Hope you enjoyed the show. It was fascinating for me to chat to Jacob uh, just about how he created the show um, and, and you know, not just him, but the team, how they created it, edited it, 
um, and also to kind of hear his perspective of addiction and, and the way that he saw it and the way that things might have changed after the show or as a result of the show. So that was really cool. Um, as always, if you or a loved one needs help with addiction, as we said at the start, you can visit www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. Um, we help people to beat addictive patterns without going to rehab. Um, and yeah, we're just happy to have a chat. Um, hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear any feedback. Stay tuned on the social medias for videos and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you're listening tonight, enjoy your Sunday and have a safe week. And uh, we'll be vibing in your earbuds on uh, Wednesday. Peace.